got that established, but uh, thank you for the monitor. I do need that. Uh, you want me to preach. I, I think when people come to hear Brother Odom preach, they expect him to flail his arms and stomp his feet and sweat and sling. And I told my wife the other day uh, between services and the Caribbean conference that I said, I think I'm about to have to change my style. I've about wore my body out, wore my voice out, and wore the congregation out. And I think I'm going to start trying to teach more than preach. And she laughed. She said, I don't believe a word of it. And frankly, I don't either. So if tonight, if I don't flail my arms and stomp my feet and sling my sweat, please don't let that determine what I'm doing. The message I preach tonight is a message that I have uh, pledged to the Lord that I will preach at most any given opportunity. It's not an extremely popular message to preach because we are people that live in the drive-through lane so much. We are in a hurry to go buy McDonald's or Burger King or Taco Bell and just uh, make our deposits at the drive-through. And I'm as guilty as you are. I want somebody to bless me when I hear them preach. That's what it's all about is for the edifying of the body of Christ. But then there are times that preaching just does not bless us. Preaching just wakes us up to reality of what we need to be. And I'm going to preach tonight about Jesus, and I'm going to read to you from the book of Matthew, chapter 21. I have used some of the material at this church before that I'll be using tonight. And I will be perfectly honest, I have used this material and other Bible messages at other locations. And I have carefully and meticulously prepared what I want to say tonight. And if it offends you that I follow some of my prepared notes carefully, well, please don't be too offended. Because I'd rather say it the way that I felt like the Lord gave it to me than to just haphazardly try to say something that would make you shout. In the book of Matthew, chapter 21, and verse 33, it will be a lengthy reading of several verses, but bear with me while you're standing. Thank you again, brother and sister Simpkins. My wife is sorry that she's not here tonight, but she had an opportunity to be a few hours with her granddaughter. And uh, I have learned when it's competition between hearing me preach and spending a few hours with her granddaughter, it's not much competition at all. She didn't even consider coming tonight. She told me last night she wasn't coming. Wasn't any reason me asking her to come. Also, my daughter and um, my son-in-law is at our house for just a few hours' visit. I'm happy that Brother Shannon Pullen is with me tonight. This is a fine young man. and He's a gospel preacher. He has designs on the kingdom of God, and I'm happy that you're here tonight, Brother Shannon. God bless you. I love you, Sister Cynthia all my heart. I love you, Brother Simpkins, with all my heart. Take care of these folks. They're grand. They're wonderful. Solid as the rock of Gibraltar. Great people, and I cherish them highly. The 33rd verse of the 21st chapter of Matthew. Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it about and digged a wine press in it, and built a tower, and led it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants, and beat one, and killed another and stoned another. Again he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir, come. Let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, 
and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is a marvelous, or it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Verse 45 and 46. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. Now, just a very brief synopsis of this parable. The servants, if you would, that were sent to the husbandmen to receive fruit were the prophets. And the husbandmen slew the prophets of God. The son of the wealthy landowner is Jesus Christ. And when the husbandmen saw the son coming, they said, this is the heir. Let us cast him out and slay him. And they did cast him out of the vineyard, and they did slay him. And Jesus then talked about what he would be doing to those that so treated the Son of God. The preaching of Calvary is not an attractive sermon to a lot of people anymore. But tonight, I'm going to preach to you, by the grace of God, what it cost Jesus for you to enjoy this great vineyard. This church does not stand on this street tonight free. There was a lot of money that was given, a lot of fundraising, a lot of sweat, a lot of hard work. It didn't come free. The growth of this congregation does not come free. There's hours multiplied to be days of prayer. There are multiplied days of fasting for a congregation to grow. A church does not grow on the credit card. There's a price to be paid. When I think of Calvary's price that Jesus paid, that I am allowed to be a public speaker in a pulpit, I stand at awe of the great ransom price that he paid. If I do nothing else for any of you tonight, I hope that I can awaken this church and the visitors that are here again to the tremendous price that Jesus paid that I could enjoy the blessings of God. Pastor, thank you for letting me come. Would you pray for me as I preach? Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the sacrifice of Calvary. Thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you for your messenger. We pray now that you would place your hand mightily upon him. He ministers a good word of the Lord tonight. Touch every heart and ear in this place. Move, we pray, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Brother Simpkins, and you may be seated. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for this cause came he into the world to seek to save that which is lost, and to ultimately endure the shame, the humiliation, and the agony of his assassin's death applied to him. When I consider Jesus, he was born in a very small village of Judea. He was the child of a very poor family, a poor woman that was not even married. 
common rumor had it, she was guilty of fornication and that Jesus was an illegitimate child. It is believed that in his early years, as he grew in wisdom and in stature, that he submitted himself and humbled himself and became obedient to his parents. The first time that he visited the temple as a human, he was the center of attention. An old man prophet by the name of Simeon and an old woman prophetess by the name of Anna, they came and they would take this newborn babe out of the hands of his mother and prophesy and say similar things about what this babe would do to Israel and to all the world. He was only approximately a couple of weeks old. Some would say as young as eight days. Others would allude to as old as 40 days old when he first visited the temple with the joint service with Simeon and Anna. I have no record that he went back to the temple again until he was 12 years of age. But as a pre-teenager, yet an adolescent, when he went back to the temple for his second visit, he was still the center of attraction. But on this visit, he did not have cuddling him the old weather-beaten arms of a prophet named Simeon or the tender words of a prophetess named Anna. But when he was found in the temple at age 12, by being the center of attention, he was amazing everyone that saw him, and he was astonishing everyone that heard him because of his ability to debate theology with the doctors and the lawyers of the ancient religious laws of Israel. When Mary found him, when Joseph found him, standing in the midst of the doctors and the lawyers, I would quote explicitly and emphatically, when they saw him, they were amazed. And when they heard him, they were astonished. Just an adolescent, not even a teenager, but he was still the driving force at what was happening at church that day in the temple in Jerusalem. And when Pentecost gets to the place that we can preach good enough and sing good enough, and organized good enough that we don't have to have the presence of that Christ with us, we shall become Ichabod. We will not have the favor of God in our gatherings. I hope that you have not come tonight to see Brother Odom. I hope that you haven't come tonight just out of obligation that if I'm not there, the pastor will certainly be calling me before Sunday morning. If you've come for any other purpose than to glorify Jesus, your purpose is in vain. He is still the driving force of every sermon. Jesus is still the driving force of every chorale and every special song. He is still the center of all of our attention, and He will refuse to play second fiddle. He will not be runner-up. He will not be secondary. He will not share His glory with any other. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the lily of the valley. He is the sun of righteousness. He is the bright and morning star. And without Him tonight, we can't make it. Without Him tonight, we're facing utter catastrophe. 
and utter failure. But with him, oh, praise God. I said, with him, oh, praise God. I said, with him, oh, praise God. Somebody say, oh, praise God. I said, somebody say, oh, praise God. I want you to emphasize the, oh, praise God. I'm telling you that he is still the center of our attention. And Jesus lived the next 18 years on the earth without another public record that he ever went to the temple. However, I tend to believe that because it was customary for Joseph and Mary to go to Jerusalem annually and to celebrate the feast of the Passover, Jesus was included in that family entourage that traveled annually from Nazareth to Jerusalem. But the Bible is silent and doesn't give us further details of his visits to Jerusalem. He never did the things that usually accompany the things that men do to become great. He never held an elective office. He was never popular in the Pharisees' denomination, and he was never popular in the Sadducees' denomination. He never belonged to a religious movement. In fact, if you would investigate him religiously, he was somewhat of a confederate. He was a rabble-rouser. He didn't blend in with the colors of religiosity. He was extremely unusual and extremely extraordinary. For he broke their laws and he broke their traditions and he was not welcome within the warm confines of their country club religions. He would turn over their cash registers and crash their hard drives on their computers. When he would go to their temple, he would turn loose flipping and flapping doves and pigeons. He would allow sheep and goats and maimed and handicapped animals to bring utter confusion into their religious Mecca, their temple, and because he was such an unusual person, the mob had an unquenchable thirst for his blood. They would not be satisfied until they saw him stamped and stomped and slain and crucified. I don't know that Jesus ever set at the feet of Gamaliel or Heliel. I don't find recorded in the ancient writ that he ever attended an institution of higher learning. He had no merits but his own name. He had no diplomas but his own name. Large cities were practically unknown to him. And if you want to see Jesus at his best, it was when he dealt with an adulterous woman who was thrown like a mangy dog at his feet at the temple. If you want to see Jesus at his best, you don't go to the cathedrals of the metropolitan cities of Judea, but you will find him at his best at the wells of Sychar, asking a Samaritan woman, give me to drink. And before that conversation was over, he told the town prostitute of Sychar, woman, if you drink of the water that I shall give you, you will never thirst again. The impact that Jesus made on that prostitute's life was so powerful that not only were many people converted to Jesus, because they saw him and heard them for themselves. But because of the conversion of the woman that met Jesus at Jacob's well, Jesus Christ, my friend, is your greatest asset. Jesus Christ is never a liability. 
Jesus Christ was human, but Jesus Christ is always supernatural. He is inexhaustive. He is infinite in height, infinite in depth, and infinite in duration, unsurpassed in the simplicity of teaching and preaching, unequaled in simplicity and very personal in application. In his earthly ministry, the blind eyes were no problem to him. In his earthly ministry, the deaf ears were no problem to him. In his earthly ministry, he could close down a leper colony by just his mere command. By his mere thought, water would be turned into wine. It was no problem for him to walk on the white capping waves of the Sea Gennesaret or Galilee. It was no problem to Jesus to take sardines and biscuits and to pray a few choice words as they were squeezed in his hands and then multiply those fish and those biscuits and feed 5,000 men. In fact, nothing was too hard for Jesus. He would stop the funeral procession in the city of Nain and he would resurrect the widow's son. He would visit the mortuary that was in the house of Jairus and he would resurrect the preacher's daughter. If the dead was so dead for four days, it didn't matter to Jesus. Had the dead been now in that condition, Jesus could change it. And I'm glad to report to you that the Christ that I'm preaching about tonight has not altered, he has not revised. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. Plowboy, I knew you had kidney complications, but I didn't know until last night that your bladder is now eaten up with cancer. I'm not going to be advantageous of that disease, but I want to tell you, sir, that that's no problem for Jesus. Uh, I'm going to get off course a few minutes, but don't come to me trying to tell me about a Jesus somewhere in glory, wringing his hands and wiping sweat off his brow and worrying what in the world he's going to do because the devil is fighting so hard. Friends, the Lord is not even going to bind the devil for the millennium. He's going to send an angel to bind the devil. It just doesn't come too hard. It just doesn't come too great. He opened the blinded eyes. He unstopped the deaf ears. He straightened crooked legs. He healed crooked feet. He straightened withered hands. He cleansed leopard bodies. He delivered the possessed mind. He heals Alzheimer's and arthritis. He heals high blood and low blood. He heals cancer and he heals diabetes. He heals emphysema and he heals encephalitis. He cools the fever. He sends gout out of the body. He heals Hodgkin's disease and jaundice and lupus and meningitis, nervous breakdowns, Parkinson's, palsy, polio and paralysis rheumatism, psoriasis, cirrhosis, and sclerosis, tuberculosis, and tumors, broken hearts, broken lives, broken homes, and broken marriages. Jesus is the fixer of all of your problems. He deserves a little more than that. Let's stand to our feet and shout unto the Lord with a great shout of joy. Come on, church. Don't respond to me. Hallelujah. Come on, church. I haven't come to be just a public speaker. I've come to present to you this is a great day for the Lord to perform a miracle in your life. Let's praise Him again. Jesus is the fountain in which the martyrs of all ages 
have cooled their hot faces. Jesus is the pillow on which the saints of all ages have rested their weary heads. Jesus breaks the fetters of the slave. Jesus takes the heat out of life's fierce fever. Jesus takes the pain out of parting. Jesus takes the sting out of death. Jesus takes the gloom out of the grave. Yes, Jesus could cast out the devils in the city of Gadara, but he could also cast out the devils in the synagogue of Capernaum. Jesus restores the prodigal son. Jesus finds the lost coin. Jesus carries the lost sheep. Jesus has the compassion of the good Samaritan. Jesus pours in oil and wine. Jesus buys the wounds. Jesus pays the bill. In the name of the Lord, that power is in this room tonight. But the power and the glory of his miracles did not come free. And for you to sit on your comfortable padded pew, and for me to speak through a comfortable public address system, it came with a price tag involved. You didn't just make up your mind to live for God. You didn't just make up your mind to come to church. For no man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. I'm here tonight because of Calvary. I'm here tonight because of the blood of Jesus. I'm here tonight because of Gethsemane when he prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm here tonight because somebody prayed for me. I'm here tonight because somebody lifted my name to the portals of glory and for me to stand before you and to present to you that I'm worthy and I'm somebody and I'm somebody special. I beg your pardon. I'm here tonight because of the mercy of God. I'm here tonight because of the grace of God. And you're here tonight because of the crimson flow. You're here tonight because of nail prints. You're here tonight because of a crown of thorns. And don't you sit there tonight and pretend that you're doing the pastor a favor by being in the house of God. It's an honor, a distinctive honor, to be here tonight in the presence of the King of Kings. Jesus is the outstanding miracle of the ages. Jesus is literature's loftiest ideal. Jesus is philosophy's highest personality. Jesus is theology's fundamental doctrine. Jesus is the grand necessity of all religion. Jesus is the supreme center of man, the center of man personally and the center of man socially, and the center of man spiritually. Jesus is the standard of measurements. Jesus is the scale of weights. Jesus is the moral fiber of the universe. Jesus is the theme of every book in the Bible. You've heard it before, but he's the creator of Genesis. He's the uh, Passover of Exodus. He's the statistics of Numbers. He's the Lamb of Leviticus. He's the Law of Deuteronomy. He's the Commander of Joshua. Come on now. He's the Judge of Judges. He is the Bridegroom of Ruth. He's the Prophet of the Samuels the king of the kings, the record keeper of the chronicles. I've come to tell you that Jesus is the basic theme of every verse in the Bible. 
Jesus Christ blossoms on every page of the Bible like 1,000 springtimes in one beautiful bouquet. I say Jesus blossoms on every page of the Bible like 1,000 springtimes in one beautiful bouquet. I can smell His fragrance now. I can feel His presence now. I can witness His glory now. I'm not preaching to you about Hinduism. I'm not preaching to you about Buddhism. I'm not preaching to you about Islamism, Confucianism. I've come to tell you that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I've come to tell you that Jesus, 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 Jesus is a thousand springtimes in one bouquet. He's the song for all choirs. He's the music for every orchestra. Jesus is heaven's alabaster box. He perfumes every continent. He perfumes every nation. He perfumes every city. He perfumes every village. Jesus is the supreme fact of creation. Jesus is the supreme fact of life. And Jesus is the supreme fact of death. Jesus is the total sum of ancient history. Jesus is the total sum of current events. Jesus is the past. Jesus is the present. Jesus is the future. Jesus is the perfect parable. Jesus is the power of the prophets. Taking Jesus out of history is like taking matter out of physics. Taking Jesus out of the present is like taking the fragrance out of flowers. Taking Jesus out of prophecy is like taking numbers out of mathematics. I say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You're not here tonight because you chose to be a Pentecostal. You're not here tonight because you want to be a holy ruler. You're here tonight because once in prayer, Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. There was a puddle of blood that was shed for Bogalusa. There was a puddle of blood that was shed for Louisiana. There was a lake of blood that was shed for Mississippi. There was a river of blood that was shed for the United States. I've come to tell you, and it gives me a moment of honor to tell you, that through the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, there's hope. Architects the world over strive vainly to build cathedrals worthy of his name, but they fall far short in their efforts. Artists vie around the world with other artists to paint the masterpiece, to portray him in pictorial beauty, but every finished canvas of the artist is an altar failure. Writers around the world with words dropping from their pencils and pens like honey shaken from a heavy, heavy lily are trying to pen words worthy of him, but words cannot adequately describe him. Poets the world over cannot develop the rhyme and the rhythm of poetry worthy of him. The golden words framed by the vocal cords of the speaker and the orator try to describe him. But the golden words of all public speakers fall far short the honor due him. Without Jesus, your past is a nightmare. Without Jesus, your past is a nightmare. Without Jesus, your past is a nightmare. Without Jesus, your present is a tormenting perplexity. Without Jesus, your present is a tormenting perplexity. Without Jesus, your future is a hopeless, depressing catastrophe. Your past is a mess. Your present is a mess. Your future is a mess without Jesus. But with Him, with Him, with Him, The teachings of Jesus are matchless. The miracles of Jesus are magnificent. The grace of Jesus is glorious. The love of Jesus is unlimited. But when they stripped him before the kangaroo court and they beat him without compassion, his only kingly scepter 
was a mere reed. His only kingly crown were planted thorns. His only kingly coronation was spit flung through sneering lips. His only throne was a rugged cross. His only royal emblem were the lictor's lashes that were delivered to him from the cat of nine tails. His only inaugural speech as a king while on the cross, his inaugural speech was a confession. I thirst. His only earthly glory was the shame of the cross. His only royal court were two thieves. His only royal apparel was a purple robe. His only royal cup was a sponge dripping with bitter vinegar from Bethlehem's manger to Jerusalem's cross. At Bethlehem, angels announced with joy to the earth because of his birth. At Calvary, the angels were absent. At Bethlehem, the shepherds thrilled. At Calvary, the disciples trembled. At Bethlehem, the choir did sing joy to the world. At Calvary, there was no anthem. At Bethlehem, his star brightened the night. At Calvary, his death darkened the day. All for the price that you could stand here tonight and be in the presence. I was preaching this message one week ago last night of the country of St. Kitts. And the response of my preaching was very similar to the response that I'm getting tonight. The people sat listening to every word that I said. And I heard myself rebuking before I could catch myself and saying to the audience, how can you sit there? How can you sit dry-eyed? How can you sit unaffected when we preach about the suffering of Christ? And the moment I said that, condemnation ripped my soul. And the Spirit said to me, how can you preach that? And the only water on your body is your sweat. How can you preach it without a tear? How can you preach it without a burden? How can you preach it? And when I said that confession publicly, the Lord led me to a dimension in tears for the pulling that I haven't been in a long, long time. And I caught a glimpse of Isaiah's Christ. For Isaiah said, Who shall believe our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up as a tender plant. And when we shall see him, there is no no beauty that we should desire him. I don't bring to you the lion of the tribe of Judah. I don't bring to you the sea walker. I don't bring to you the multiplier of loaves and fish. But I bring to you tonight Isaiah's Messiah. When Isaiah saw him, it was an ugly sight. A bruise from head to heel. Nothing but blood. Nothing but suffering and I'm asking God to move on me that I can be moved when I consider the price that was paid for my salvation. The Apostle Paul was acquainted with that Christ. Once I heard Paul say, Oh, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection. There's a great deal more in that statement than just the words that Paul said. I'm of the opinion that Paul was already acquainted with him and the power of Calvary. He knew what it was to die. For he said, I die daily. He knew what it was to be shipwrecked and to be stoned and to be beaten and to be imprisoned. And I stand before you with oratorical grandeur and I can talk about Paul and Jesus and I've suffered no persecution and I've suffered no humiliation. Wake up, Bogalusa. Wake up, Pentecostals. You didn't get this free. 
at his crucifixion, his disciples thought it was his final word, his last appearance, the ultimate disaster. The rose of Sharon was being trampled to dust. The lily of the valley was being ground to dirt. The good shepherd was being snatched from the sheep. The good master could no longer speak to the rich young ruler. The good Samaritan had now fallen among thieves. The good Samaritan was stripped. And the good Samaritan was left fully dead. Jesus Christ stapled to a cross, stapled to die for the sins of a nation, the sins of a people, the sins of the world. I have come to declare to you, I have determined to know nothing among you. Say, Jesus, he condomoshoto, and him crucified. At his death, a supernatural eclipse darkened the rays of the sun at high noon. At his death, the earth shivered with an unfamiliar chill. At his death, the earth shook with quakes as it twisted on its axis. An earth astonished that a love so sweet, a love so pure, would collide with such a dreadful doom. The earth has never lived in a more darker day, a more darker hour, a more darker minute, a more darker moment than the time that Jesus bowed his head and gave up the ghost and darkness spread upon the earth. How do we normally respond? With our arrogance in Pentecost, we simply abandon him. With our brutality, we brush him aside. With our carnal nature, we crush his Christian love. With our designs of being too busy, we desert him. With emulations, we simply excuse him. With foolishness, we forget him. With our greed, we feed him God. With our haughtiness, we humble him. With our insolence, we ignore him. With our jestings, we judge him. With our increased knowledge, we kill his kind purpose. With our lies, our licentiousness, our lasciviousness, we lower him and we lose him. With our maliciousness, we mock him. With our naughtiness, we neglect him. With our offenses, we obstruct him. With our passions, we persecute him. With our quarrels, totally in the confusion, mucus and phlegm ran from his nose and from his mouth because of fever, because of a throbbing headache, waves of nausea swept over his stomach. Unable to control nausea, he spewed his vomit upon his beaten chest, blood oozing from his ears and blood oozing from his eyes. His entrails hanging on his side because of the cat of nine tails, a ruptured appendix, a ruptured spleen, ruptured intestines, a ruptured liver, a ruptured heart, uncontrollable kidneys. He splashed his urine upon his feet, unable to control his bladder. His own body, fecus and human waste soiled upon his backside and smeared to the cross, unable to control his bowels. And you want to come to church and strut. You want to come to church and put up and put on and pretend that you're something. I beg your pardon. When I think of what God has done for me, I don't have the right. I don't have the reason to pretend that I'm something. Because of his agony, I'm here tonight. I want the same 
congregation response from you that I watch from other audiences. Sister Simpkins, I'm probably going to be preaching this message. In fact, I will be preaching it in Tennessee by request in two weeks by request. I'll be leaving Tennessee on a Wednesday night driving to Arkansas, and I'll be preaching this by request. And the staggering thing is this, that congregation that knows that God has dealt with me about this, they could care less about my so-called hot rod sermons, my so-called big shot sermons. There's a call coming from the pulpit. There's a call coming from the pew. There's a call coming from the altar. Don't make me feel good anymore, but remind me, remind me, tell me what Jesus went through that I could have the hope of eternal life. So help me God, Sister Simpkins, if the preaching of the cross and the love of Jesus, if that would not bring hope to the hopeless, then bless God, they're hopeless. If the preaching of the cross and the love of Jesus Christ will not bring faith to the faithless, then they will be faithless. But I've come to defy the odds. I've come to serve the devil notice. I've come to advise Bogalusa that the preaching of the cross is still power. It's still revival. It's still miracles. It's still a move of God. So I observed you as I became quite <laughs> as I discussed human anatomy, and I can notice how you will wrinkle your mouth when I talk about gleam and mucus dripping from his nose and his mouth, but unable to wipe his brow. Yes, I can see you respond when I talk about waves of nausea deep in his abdomen. And guess what he did with his last supper that he celebrated with his disciples? He vomited it up. He spews it out on his chest. I watched your reaction when I talked about the uncontrollable kidneys and his urine splashing upon his legs and puddling and mixing with his own blood at the feet of the cross. We don't like that, Brother Odom. No, no, no. And whatever you do, don't, talk, don't start talking about human waste and human fecus being soiled. I've come to tell you, honey, that Jesus paid a price for you to be in the church. And don't come to me with your goody-goody two-shoes and pretend that the church is lucky to have you. I've come to tell you, had it not been for Jesus, had it not been for Calvary, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief we hid as it were our faces from him he was betrayed he was bruised he was chastised he was condemned he was crowned with thorns he was crucified he was despised he was forsaken he was grieved, he was hated, laughed at, mocked at, he made his grave with the wicked, he was numbered with the transgressors, he was oppressed. Oppressed? I've lost track of time, help me Shan. Is this not the 26th of August? 1994 in the year of our Lord my Lord on Calvary's rugged cross knew what would be happening at Bogalusa on this occasion he knew who would be here and he knew the complications in every life whether it would be physical problems financial problems whether it would be domestic problems spiritual problems he knew you would be here. You're not here because you won the lottery. 
You're not here because you won the bingo. But the divine providence of God brought you to this point tonight for you to hear the sweaty-browed redneck from Mississippi say that if you got a problem, the answer's in the cross. If you got a problem, the answer's in the blood. If you got a battle, the victory's at the cross. If you got a battle, the victory's in the blood. I've come to tell you, sister, that the Lord will bring to you deliverance tonight. I've come to tell you, ma'am, that the Lord would take care of it all. I've come to tell you, sir, that the Lord our God, who is high and lofty and great to be praised, He has come with the answer tonight. All of you people look at me. Holy Ghost is with us now. Holy Ghost is with us now. You people look at me. A man in his right mind, staring right down at his 49th birthday, preaching now for 30 years. I've ripped my health. I have destroyed my voice, and Chan knows that. I usually burn with fever. I usually force myself to preach when I don't feel like it. Forget the fact that I'm enumerating these things to you. But if you think that what you see is a sweaty mess, an embarrassment to the pulpit, an embarrassment to the cloth of the clergy, what you're looking at tonight is nothing but the results of the ultimate humiliation, the ultimate mess. Yay, 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 yay. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the Lamb of God. I present to you the hope of Vogelusa. I present to you the hope, is it Barnado? I present to you the hope of Louisiana. I present to you the hope of your past. I present to you the hope of your present. I present to you the hope of your tomorrows. I have come not as a John the Baptist. I have come not as a Tishbite Elijah. But I have come as a minister of grace and truth to tell you that if you will give your battle to the cross, if you will give your battle to the cross, if you will give your heartaches to the cross, if you will give your letdowns to the cross, if you will give your cancer to the cross, if... Shannon, you be sure and tell the family of Pentecostal Tabernacle that you watched your pastor make a mess of things again tonight. Weary and worn, begging and pleading, dealing with you, negotiating, reason with me. Honey, it's in the blood of Jesus. Sir, it's in the blood of Jesus. Come on, devil, I dare you. You are a liar and the father of lies. I rebuke you in the name of the Christ of Calvary. Let these people go. Release them from their fear. Take your hand of torment away from them. These are the children of the Most High God. They have the Spirit of God. They have the name of God. And I challenge you and I charge you to release your hold. Take your fear. Take your doubt. Take your unbelief and be away from us. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide. Come on now, wait, 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 wait. Let me hide. You've been exposed too long. You've been under the pressure too long. You've been feeling the onslaught 
way too long. Come now, I'm going to lead you to the cleft of the rock. Hayamo Shatai. Let me hide my, but Brother Odom, you don't know what I've gone through. But friend, I want to tell you what Jesus went through. Myself in thee. Jesus. He borrowed a ship in which to sit to teach the multitude. He borrowed a nest in which to rest. He ne'er had a home so rude. But the crown that he bore and the cross that he bore were his own. The crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. He borrowed a room on the way to the tomb, the Passover meal to eat. They borrowed a cave for him a grave. They borrowed for him the winding sheet. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. Must Jesus bear the cross for the seconds? My God, brother, don't report me to your district board about the way I preached the last two nights. But when you called and asked me to come, I felt like the Lord was going to do something at this church. If I'm trying to make a name for myself, sis, this ain't the way you preach. Yeah. Don't report me, preacher. But I've been sent to this church to remind you one more time that it don't come too hard for Jesus. There's enough blood puddled at the cross. Fleam and mucus and urine and fecus. Agony. Hanging entrails. Throbbing headache. Scalding fever. His only cup was a sponge soaked in vinegar. His only coronation was spit flung through sneering lips. <laughs> you see, these are the sermons that breaks the fetters of the devil. The devil can counteract when I preach my canned sermons and a few I own. But when I preach the blood of Jesus, the devil's got to go. When I say in the name of Jesus, with the blood of Jesus as my backdrop, the devil's got to go. He can fight my sermons and he can fight your songs. He can fight your building apparatus and he can fight your church organizational structure. But I've come to advise this church there's one thing the devil cannot fight. And that's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. No, he can't fight the blood. He can't fight the blood. No, 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 no. You tell me you want to be a preacher, right? You want to look like this? You want to act like this and strip your voice? You tell me you want to be a preacher? Boy, I'm here to tell you, sir, I'm here to tell you, you ain't going to move your generation with patty, 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 and good little sermons. It's going to take the power of the Holy Ghost, the name of Jesus, the blood of the cross. Our generation has got to hear the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. Preach it, Brother Garcia. Preach it, Brother Pullen. Preach it without fear. Preach it without favor. Preach it with faith. Preach it with authority. Preach it with command. And the devil will honor. The devil will run. The devil will flee. Okay, I've preached 62 minutes. That's enough, isn't it? But remember, honey, he hung three hours. Count them. Sixty. 120, 180 minutes. I have preached 62 minutes, but he hung 180 minutes on the cross before he said with a loud voice, It is finished. 62 minutes I've demonstrated verbally what Jesus went through. But for 180 minutes, he 
fled. For 180 minutes with spurts because of uncontrollable kidneys, his urine splashed. For 180 minutes, they, they, they walked by and laughed at him and scorned him and rebuked him. Others he could save, but himself he cannot save. 180 minutes, three hours he hung there from Bogalusa. And you want to come to church and pretend. You want to come to church and carry an air. You want to be arrogant. You want to be skeptical. You want to pretend that the church hinges on you. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to tell you that the church is built on the rock. The rock of ages. The testimony, the revelation of the mighty God in Christ Jesus. I didn't mean to cause you trouble. I have come to tell you that your hope is in the blood. The blood. Well, why don't you be a little more manly about it, Brother Odom? Because there was no manners at the cross. Why don't you speak with more dignity and sophistication, Brother Odom? And don't look at us like you're angry. I'm not angry. I'm telling you I am grieved that the preaching of the blood of Jesus cannot move Pentecost of America anymore. <laughs> 